I would say that song brings back some great memories from 1986, Eric, wouldn't you say? It does. Um, long time ago, although we've had uh, three Super Bowl wins since. I can't, although I don't think we had any, unfortunately, we didn't have any songs when they won the last Super Bowls, but uh, maybe next time. Great job by our listeners picking the 1986 rap, We Are the Giants. Andy Hedden. Leonard Marshall, Lionel Emanuel, a couple of the players, 86 Giants. I think we were about 15 years old. That was after a lot of years, a lot of bad years. Um, that was uh, the first Super Bowl that we got to enjoy. So uh, We Are the Giants is the official theme song of the D-Man and Stormer Big Blue podcast. I'm Peter Storm. He's Eric Diamond. Um you know, one of the things we wanted to do at the beginning of this second podcast was tell a little bit about ourselves. Um, 48 years old. I've been a giant fan my entire life. I believe I have not missed any games on TV. If I do, I DVR them and I do my best not to find out who won. Um, I've been doing this since I can remember. Uh, the Giants, you know, my favorite Sunday is a giant game at 425 where I can warm up with a jet game at one. Giant game at 425 and get ready for the uh, Sunday night game. Seven, you know, that's about 11 hours straight of football. That is my favorite thing. There's nothing better, especially if it's raining out and the Giants have a decent team. And we are going to be here to tell you, and we are going to be here to tell you when we think that will actually happen. Eric, tell us, a, you know, a little bit more about yourself and what, and what the Giants have meant to you and how long you've been a fan. All right. You know, like you, Pete, um, I, you know, die, you know, big blue, uh, huge fan. You know, if the Giants win, it makes the week a lot more fun. And if they lose, it's it's really depressing. And uh, it always hurt, you know, always hurts to wait to then that next Sunday. You know, last week I talked about how the Giants victory over the Packers in the 2007 championship game helped me get through uh, some difficult medical times through my surgeries Uh and obviously, as I was recuperating from my surgery, I was able to watch the Giants stun the world and beat the New England Patriots uh, because no one had thought, including myself, that the Giants were going to win. Um, before we do start, I want to just give a shout out to a friend of mine who's a big uh, Giants fan, uh, Mark Jansen. The only thing that he likes to do uh, more than watch Giant games is to go to uh, watch uh, Jackson Hurricane soccer games, uh, watching our daughters, and also watching the weekend Jackson Liberty Band competitions. He doesn't miss them. So just uh, saying hi to my Mark, uh, my friend Mark, who I haven't seen in a while since there's been no uh, uh, soccer games going on. So You do realize if you mention somebody specifically on our podcast, they A, have to listen, and B, have to distribute this to 100 people. So I don't know your friend Mark, but you can tell him that I said that, that he is responsible for not only listening to the entire podcast, but distributing it to 100 people. Yeah, he, Anyways, he, will definitely, uh, he will definitely listen to this. Yes. Anyways, you know, another thing is, is, you know, when you do a podcast like you and I are doing, why would anybody actually need to listen to this versus all the other podcasts that are out there? Well, if you're a Giant fan or a fan of any real New York team, you'll find that 99% of the fans are either overly positive or overly negative. One of my favorite things to do every day is to uh, surf this Giants website, and I'm going to give them a plug, called BigBlueInteractive.com. It's a great website. 
However, the posters on there are, like I said, are either extremely positive or extremely negative. And I'll give you an example. And the best example to use is, is a player like Daniel Jones. 50% of the website think Daniel Jones is the second coming of Fran Tarkenton or Joe Montana or any great quarterback that you can think of. The other 50% are convinced that Daniel Jones is the next Dave Brown, the next Danny Cannell, or the next uh, Joe Pisarczyk. So in, in my opinion, there's always the place in between that, the realistic view. And that's what you're going to get from Eric and I. You're going to get a realistic view of the Giants. We're not going to sugarcoat anything. If we think they stink, we're going to tell you. I mean, I don't think I hid my disdain for Dave Gettleman in our first episode. I think Dave Gettleman is the worst thing that's happened to this franchise since the pre-George uh, Young days. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't need to go through it again. And that, to me, is a very realistic view. I mean, he has not done a lot with a lot of draft capital, a lot of cap space. Definitely something we'll get into in our third episode, which I believe is completely dedicated to Mr. Gettleman. Um, so that's my views on why people should listen to us. We're going to give a very realistic view. Eric, any anything to add or, or detract from that statement? Well, I mean, if you are a huge Giants fan, the last three uh basically three seasons, actually four to five have been just brutal. Um, I mean, three, you know, what were we, four and 12 last year? Uh, I mean, the, a horrible defense. I mean, they're painful to watch. Outside of like a Barkley, there's been nothing good to watch uh, with this team. Hopefully, and, that, and that's a very realistic view. I mean, they are very difficult to watch. They're terrible on defense. Their offense, you know, was under Pat Shermer was very non-creative, very predictable. Um, you don't know what this new coaching staff's going to be. I, you know, I told the time that I believed, you know, that it would be a lot of running, you know, trying to follow what the Dallas Jason Garrett did with the Cowboys, kind of like what Bill Belichick did with the Patriots, trying to take advantage of personnel. Maybe they'll actually use Evan, Evan Egram correctly. But, you know, like I, said, gotta stay healthy. like I said, what you're going to get from us, is a very realistic view. I'm not going to come out here and tell you that Daniel Jones is the next Joe Montana, the next, even next Eli Manning. I don't know that yet. What I can tell you is he showed some promise. He definitely showed some promise last year. Eric read the stats about what he did in the red zone last week, but he also has some areas of deficiency. He turns over the ball, and I still am not confident on a cold, windy day in East Rutherford, New Jersey, beautiful East Rutherford, New Jersey, that Daniel Jones can throw the ball downhill in a up downfield in a pressure spot against the Eagles or the Cowboys to clinch the NFC East. That is to be determined. And well, we do need to get a good receiver before that happens, too. Right, but anybody who tells you differently right now that they can tell you that Daniel Jones is the second coming is it's just it's just looking through you know rose colored glasses at this point. I think most Giant fans are know that he's not. You know, he's not a guarantee like Patrick Holmes was. But I will tell you that later in this podcast, uh, Eric and I will reveal a very exclusive story to the D-Man and Stormer Big Blue podcast about Daniel Jones that will give Giant fans a reason to, to really, really be encouraged by this young man because it's a, it's a very interesting story that um, one of his teammates told. It's not out there for public consumption, really. I, I teased Eric and made him do a Google search on it today, and he could not find it. 
So we will reveal that story later. But for this episode and the bulk of this episode, Eric and I, as promised, do the Giants offseason. We're going to start by reviewing what they did in free agency. They had $60 million of cap space, and we'll tell you how they spent it. And then we will go draft pick by draft pick and give us and give you our analysis of their draft pick. Eric has been reviewing tape for the last two weeks. He has watched tape of every one of their draft picks. And I have not done the same. I'm going by what I saw, you know, in the football, you know, when I watch college football and, and some video clips that I read. So we're going to start with the free agent signings, Eric. And the Giants had $60 million of cap space. And overall, I don't think they did enough with it. I mean, I'm going to be right. I'm going to be blunt. They did not add a pet, you know, an edge rusher. And, I, you know, we talked about this a lot. They need pass rushing. They did not add a pass rusher. Their big ticket free agent signing, big surprise, was from the Carolina Panthers, cornerback James Bradbury. They gave him a three-year, $44 million contract. Scouting reports mixed on Bradbury. You know, he played in the NFC South. We're going to go up against Michael Thomas and Julio Jones and the Tampa receivers, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Um, Whether he was worth that money or there was somebody better out there, I'm not sure. There's no doubt that the Giants need a number one corner, especially with DeAndre Baker's status in question. Eric, what were your thoughts on the James Bradbury signing? Well, I do think they overpaid for him. I mean, he's obviously an experienced cornerback. He's good. He's not great. Yes, he did have to face many, you know, tough receivers. Um, so you should give him credit for that. Um, you know, I like Landon Collins better, who they, you know, who they let go to the Redskins, but because the Giants have so well, many I, I have back, you, though, Landon Collins was not a cornerback; he was a safety. So I mean, that's Bradbury true. was signed signed as a. But remember, the money was the biggest team. issue with Collins. You know why they didn't sign him, and they gave a lot more to to uh, uh, to Brandon. So, um, you know, the, the, but the Giants have a lot of young defensive players, so they do need someone with some experience there. So, I think it's a, a decent. Uh, acquisition. I don't think it's great. I don't think it's taking us to the playoffs, but I don't think it's going to hurt us. No, I mean Bradbury immediately becomes the number one corner on the team. But again, you know, I don't know how much that is saying when you know, you know, DeAndre Baker, Corey Ballantyne, Grant Haley, uh, Sam Beal. Those those are the other guys. Their fourth round pick that we'll talk about later. Uh, you know, I, you know, Bradbury, you know, he's a serviceable cornerback. I, you know, is he going to be able to cover the Amari Coopers and, the, and, and, you know, the number one guy in the Eagles Not with our guy in, in, and, and the guy on the, in the, the kid from Ohio state on the Redskins. We'll see. I mean, Bradbury will be put on an Island. I have a feeling, you know, playing the role of some of the new England corners like McCourty played or, or, or Butler played this year. So we'll see the second big free agent signing. And we're only going to go over the five big ones they made. And then I'll go through the rest of them. The second big one is they they did, um, you know, acknowledge the fact that they don't have any serviceable linebackers. Eric last week spoke about Alec Ogletree and how bad he was. Ogletree's replacement will be Blake Martinez, formerly of the Green Bay Packers, signed to a three-year, $31 million contract. Again, um, the reviews on Martinez are mixed. Um, I, I do have a close person that am I that I that works for me that is a big Green Bay fan and she is a Blake Martinez fan um but you know I, I'm not sure about him you know uh you know he's not the fastest linebacker 
he is productive. Uh, you know, he does, you know, is he a shorthanded tackler? Erica, what are your thoughts on Blake Martinez? All right. I I would say that, you know, he's maybe like a a functional good linebacker. Again, he's not an all pro player. He's not a big impact player, but he does his job. Um, you know, he does, he's a pretty good tackler. Now the thing about him, they say is that he's good in coverage, um, although he gave up 83, 80, 84% of passes against him that he was covering over the middle. Now, a lot of them are obviously short passes. It's not like he's getting beat deep. But, you know, the word is that he's good in coverage, but statistically it doesn't really show. Um, but, again, I don't think he's going to hurt the Giants. Again, it, it's some experience that they do need. But, look, he's not Carl Banks. You know, certainly not Lawrence Taylor. So he's not even Gary Reason. Yeah, you know, he's not Harry Carson. He's not that. You know, but he's a he's a solid he's a solid linebacker, better than what we've had in many years. I'll say that. The eighty four percent statistic, and I read the same thing, which means he was only in coverage. You know, I'm a math guy. You know, everyone who knows me, forgetting sports, the second thing is I'm a math guy. But this is a uh, easy problem meaning that he only was successful in coverage 16% of the time. So that is concerning. Like I said, my reports on him is not one of those line to, you know, sideline to sideline linebackers that's going to chase down Ezekiel Elliott as he he cuts, he does his cutback running. So again, I think linebacker and defense overall is going to be the same old story for the Giants. Um, Just going through the rest of the free agent signings, um, tight end, and you can comment as you, uh, you know, we're not going to go through deep analysis on the rest of these guys because they're probably not even starters. But their third big signing was tight end Levine Toyolo for two years and six million. I don't know anything about Levine Toyolo except for the fact that he probably will be the second or third string, you know, the second or third linebacker. I mean, tight end. I think it'll be the third because they got Caden Smith. Yeah, Caden Smith was pretty good last year at the end of last year. He, you know, he. He impressed me. You know, I can tell you that. I thought Caden had showed good hands and good blocking. So, you know, Levine, Toyolo, you know, and Evan Engram, if he's healthy, will be the number one tight end. But I, I, I definitely see the Giants going two, three tight end sets quite often next year. Um, the, their fourth guy that they signed was linebacker Kyle Fackrell from, I believe he's from Carolina too. He was signed, or Green Bay, I don't remember. He was signed to a one-year $4.6 million contract. And this is the guy the Giants are counting on potentially for a pass rush because uh, one year ago or two years ago, he had six sacks. You know anything additional about Kylo Fackrell that our fans might want to know? Like, like you said, I, I think he's functional and a decent linebacker, but not a major impact type of player. Not the, you know, that's what this team is lacking are impact players. You know, we- yeah, I mean, they didn't re-sign Marcus Golden, or at least they haven't yet. And Golden had 10 sacks. And I think this guy, Fackrell, is the guy they want, they signed to potentially replace Golden. But Fackrell, you know, it's, you, you can't say, hey, this guy's going to get us 10 sacks next season. So no. I don't know. I mean, again, I, mean, play, I don't think he ever stood out to me. You know, I, you know, quite another questionable signing in my, in my book. The rest of the signings um, are offensive tackle Cam Fleming from the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Fleming signs a one-year, three-point-four million contract. Very familiar with Jason Garrett and Mark Colombo. 
Uh, but Fleming is being counted on as a swing tackle. He's not thought of as a starter. So if somebody goes down, Fleming will come in. Safe, you know, some of the other signings were safety Nate Ebner, backup quarterback Colt McCoy. That's an interesting one. Uh, I'm not sure McCoy will even make the team because the Giants have this like infatuation with Alex Tanny. Um, oh, I think they're going to want to keep a veteran in though. Well, Tan- Tanny's a veteran, and the thing they say about Tanny is that he's always in the film room. Like, he's great in the room. That's what I read about him. He's great in the room. I don't know what that means, but he's great in the room. That's how this guy has survived. He watches a lot of tape, I guess. The Giants. What you say? He watches a lot of tape, I guess, and is, you know. I, I, I mean, I, I guess he does, but that's all I ever hear about Tanny. It's going to take a, a good preseason from Colt McCoy to beat out Tanny, and I really hope they don't waste the roster on three, on three uh, quarterbacks. The last three signings were defensive tackle Austin Johnson. So the Giants have now have enough 15th defensive tackle on their team. Dave Gettleman loves those defensive tackles. Tight end Eric Tomlinson, another blocking type tight end. And a new long snapper, Casey Kreider. Zach Diossi, after about 30, 35 years as, a, as the long snapper for the Giants. I mean, I, I got to tell you, I think I was in eighth grade when Zach Diossi came onto the team. <laughs> and that's a long time ago. But he's being replaced by Casey Kreider as a long snapper, signed to a one-year, $1 million contract. So that is the list of players that the Giants signed with $60 million worth of cap space. Maybe a little more, but it was about $60 million. In my opinion, $60 million does not go as far as it used to because that is not an impressive array. Well, maybe they're, they're going to use the rest to uh, pay Marcus Golden. Well, you know, Javion Clowney is still out there too, and they're not paying know, for Clowney. You know, that's not happening. Not on, not 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 on this list was Dion Lewis, who they also signed as a running back. Oh, that's right. He has a he has some New England pedigree from uh, a few years ago before he was with Tennessee. Uh, but Dion Lewis's year best years are way behind him. I just want to you know quickly go over some of the players that will not be back with the New York Giants last this next year. But when you're 4-12, and 12, you probably won't miss most of them. Running back Buck Allen, wide receiver Cody Latimer. Uh, you know, Cody Latimer. In jail. I think, yeah, I think he already got arrested. <laughs> he, he signed with the Redskins. The Giants did re-sign wide receiver Cody Core. Cody Core is more known, though, for his uh, special teams talents, not as a receiver. Russell Shepard, wide receiver. Wide receiver Corey Coleman was re-signed by the Giants. Uh, one year, $1 million. Coleman, a former first-round draft pick, could easily be the number three or four receiver on this team. Scott Simonson will no longer be with the team. The Giants lost Mike Remmers. Mike Remmers was, was very injury-prone at right tackle. And as bad as Nate Solder was at left tackle, Mike Remmers was almost as bad at right tackle. When you, what do you think about losing Remmers? I, I mean, basically every single person that you mentioned on the list, you know, honestly, good riddance to them. <laughs> well, here's somebody we are keeping, Leonard Williams, re-signed by the Giants with a franchise tender, one year, $16 million. So the Giants are paying $16 million. Actually, they're paying $16 million for a half a sack. Should we take, should we take the over dollars. or the under on three sacks for next year? Remember, Williams is a disruptor, whatever that means. But we will dive into what might be one of the worst trades in NFL recent history. You would have thought that somebody from the Knicks front office came in, kidnapped Gettleman, called the Jets, and made this trade because this is one of the worst trades that I could ever remember. And I, Like I said last time, if the Giants had fired Gettleman after that trade, 
I would not have had an issue with it. Yeah, not having that third uh, round pick this year really hurt. Well, this guy was a free agent. So if they were so interested in him, they could have let him finish the season with the Jets. Let them have that half a sack. Because, you know, let them have that half a sack. I'm sure we could have found – listen, I think you could have went on to the Giants, lined up on the defensive line, and also tripped tripped on to a half a sack yourself, just like Leonard Williams did. So, they, so not only did they, they, they traded for Leonard Williams, but then they couldn't figure out a long-term contract with him, so they were pigeonholed into signing this guy to, to the franchise tender, and he's eating up $16 million worth of the cap. I would have rather had Javion Clowney for that movie. I would have rather had Marcus Golden back. I agree. So, so Marcus Golden's the next guy on the list. He's still out there if the Giants so choose. Giants re-signed David Mayo. David Mayo actually probably was their best linebacker last year. Uh, Dion Buchanan left the Giants. He's with the Falcons now. Antonio Hamilton, a cornerback, the Chiefs. I don't know, you know, maybe he goes to the Chiefs and, fi- and finds the uh, finds how to play football. They also lost Antoine Bethay, Michael Thomas, and Zach Diossi. Those guys were so bad they weren't signed by anybody else. So that that's the Giants free agent picture from last year. You know, like Eric said, he said very eloquently, anybody they did not re-sign, good riddance because they were probably bad. And again, I, I had more higher hopes for $60 million worth of cap space that they could have done better with a probably a B-plus cornerback, a C-plus linebacker heading up, you know, no ed, no pass rusher, no center. Well, you know how I not feel good. that the biggest thing that our defense is lacking and was not addressed in the draft is the lack of a pass rush. I mean, I will say that week after week. I've been saying this for years. We will never be a winning team until we're able to put consistent pressure on the quarterback. It's that simple. So, with free agency in the uh, in the back burner, and then you know, as soon as free agency was over, we were hit with this coronavirus pandemic. But the NFL, in its ultimate wisdom, in my opinion, decided to go forward with a virtual NFL draft. And we all know that from listening to Dave Gettleman. He has a lot of problems with technology. So my my uh, fear was that when it came to the fourth pick, the not, Giants would not only not make a pick, but Gettleman's computer would hit with a virus. But I think the Giants planned for that by having an IT guy with them there. So once with free agents, Bernard, the Giants still had a ton of other holes to fill in the draft. Um, they had the fourth pick overall in the first and second round. As Eric and I touched on earlier, they lost their – first third round pick was in the Leonard William trades, but then they had the rest of their picks, including four seventh round picks. So, Oh, yay for that. That was a big help. (laughs) Those seventh round picks. You never know. You throw a dart. You never know what you're going to come up with. Right. No, that's true. We can get one good player out of the four. That's great. You go up to 10 girls in the bar and you hope one of them works out and says, yes, that's pretty much what a seventh round pick is. So, the Giants had the fourth pick overall in the first round, and there was a lot of rumors that would they trade down? Would they would they take you know would they take a, a linebacker? Would they take an offensive lineman? If they took an offensive lineman, which of the offensive linemen would they take? Eric and you and I discussed this in our daily email every day, and all along I told you the Giants would sit at four, take an offensive lineman, and probably take one that everybody would criticize them for. And unfortunately, as being a Giant fan for years. That is what came true. I mean, in a year where there were two really good quarterbacks picked right behind them, 
the two teams colluded to know that they both wanted different quarterbacks. So neither of them needed to trade up with the Giants. So the Giants stuck at four, selected offensive tackle from Georgia, Andrew Thomas. I know you're a big fan. You've watched a ton of tape. Tell us all about Andrew Thomas. <laughs> I wouldn't say a ton of tape, but I mean, look, Andrew Thomas, if he does not get injured, should be a, an all-pro player. Simple as that. Um, he's going to make Barkley very happy and Daniel Jones very happy. He's as solid as a pick that you could have. Um, so, I mean, look, I think he's, he's you know, he's, he, has, he has the potential to be a Hall of Fame lineman down the road. He really does. He has that potential. Again, it's potential. But he's a big guy, long arms. Um, he's what you want as that offensive lineman. And the tape doesn't lie because he was moving people pretty uh, pretty easily. Um, so I think he's going to be a good pick. Obviously, he's starting right away, and he really should have an impact. Obviously, because of the lack of practice that's going on uh, due to you know COVID uh, nineteen. Um, there's so much you can do from virtual learning. Um, but I'm. I would have liked him to, to pick Simmons. Um, I was hoping they would have traded back, but that didn't happen. So uh, I'm happy with Thomas, though. I think he's – I do think he was the best lineman out of all of them. I have a couple of comments on your – I was listening to what you had to say about Thomas, um, a couple of questions. And I, and I think it's good to commit a lot of time to the first-round pick number four overall. Um, claiming that he has Hall of Fame I do. potential – now I think I think I think I think if Andrew Thomas knew you said that, he might send you a gift because that is quite a statement to consider him to have Hall of Fame potential. Eric, I gotta tell you, I hope you're right. But what do you say to the naysayers, the Mel Kuypers, the Todd McShays, the glitterati on ESPN that said the Giants picked the wrong guy? I mean, there was there was uh, Tristan Willis, there was uh, Worfs, and there was also the Giants, the kid the Jets picked, McKeel Beckton. All of which, depending on who you spoke to, you know, the ESPN experts, all thought those guys could have been better than Andrew Thomas. Now, I will agree when you listen to NFL personnel and, and you read deep into what, you know, what the non-Mel Kuypers say, Andrew Thomas was considered the most NFL ready. Um, but what do you say to the naysayers about Andrew Thomas who claim that the other guys were better? I You know, I think the other guys weren't true tackles like Thomas, so I'll give them the Giants that. I mean – and look, this is obviously, I mean, we're not scouts. You know, we don't watch all these these tape and, and so forth. But look at his size, his, his length arm of his arms. And and also keep in mind that as good as he, he may be, it also depends who's next to him too. So for him to be a quote-unquote Hall of Fame player, he has to have some pretty good offensive linemen next to him too. Because your teammates can look make you look better or worse depending on how good they are. So, fair. That's a fair statement. I mean, you know, if if they have a, uh, you know, if he's lined up next to, you know, Will Hernandez, and Will Will Hernandez just gives, you know, is like a bullfighter and just lets the guy run to the quarterback, you know, <laughs> make Andrew Thomas look bad. I think Andrew Thomas is going to start from day one. If he doesn't. It's it's a, it's if he doesn't start on day one, it was a bad. Pick. He has to start unless he's injured. Yeah, I think, I think he's, now look, I, you know, I, you, you did mention 
a player in your in, in your uh, brief you know introduction there. You did you did mention uh, Isaiah Simmons. That is the guy I felt the Giants should pick. Um, I think you know he's a defensive playmaker. He does lack a true position. Is he a safety? Is he a linebacker? In the in the positionless NFL, it doesn't really matter. Simmons is a playmaker. The Giants don't have any playmakers on defense. I believe Simmons should have been the pick. I do laugh at your, you know, uh, pipe dream of the Giants trading back to get Simmons. Um, you know, first of all, after the Leonard Williams trade, they didn't have their third round pick. And as I mentioned in our initial podcast, this is not the movie draft day. Uh, Dave Gettleman is not Kevin Costner. And there's not some buffoon running Jacksonville to make a dumb trade to give him two of the top five picks. So once they picked Thomas, that was the guy they weren't picking again until their second round pick safety Xavier McKinney out of Alabama. Um, This was a definite value pick at a position. I'm not sure they desperately needed as much of a, as a center or an edge rusher or as a wide receiver, but McKinney is raved about. He is a all do it all safety should have been a first round pick. He has suffered a leg cramp at the combine. So his 40 time wasn't as good as it really is. Um, From what I understand, Gettleman was doing cartwheels. I would have loved to have seen that when McKinney was available. Eric, what are your thoughts on the X-Man? Well, the one thing I noticed uh, from the tape I watched is that he is fast and he can blitz uh, as well. He, He got to that quarterback pretty quickly. And this giant defense has lacked speed and he gives him that. I think he's great in coverage. I think his 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 challenge, I think, is improving his ability to tackle. Uh, if he could uh, improve on that, uh, I think, again, he has the potential to be an all-pro player. Um, I agree. I don't think they needed him at the pick, but I think, you know, they took the, what they felt was the best pick at that time. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, there was a couple centers available. There was some receivers available. I like that they um, – at least acknowledge that you have to play defense. I didn't have an issue with the McKinney pick. Um, you know, I, I had heard that if uh, McKinney wasn't there, they were going to trade down. Uh, so they, they're, you know, you know, like I said, you, you can't, you know, I'm going to give you the realistic opinion. I mean, because the Giants scout, you know, the Giants scouts do not deserve the benefit of the doubt from their draft record over the last several years. So, you know, the fact that they have McKinney rated so high really doesn't do much for me. But the fact that others had him rated high, and I'm not talking about Mel Kuyper. Um, I'm talking about others had McKinney ran high. So I, I can't complain about this pick. I'm anxious to see what he can do. Maybe he can be a playmaker, get us some, you know, some, you know, do what, what Jamal Adams does for the Jets. I think I he know. has the potential. He's very aggressive, very physical, which is what you need in the defensive uh, backfield. I mean, the Giants have lacked that for years. They're not scaring anybody on defense with the way that they're tackling and hitting and covering. So. Um, again, no matter how you how good you are as a defensive back, if there's no pass rush, you're not going to be able to cover anybody. So, you know, be interesting to see how the defense is, despite the fact we have not improved our pass rush. No, if anything, believe it or not, and I don't think this was possible. Our pass rush to me is worse right now than it was last year. I mean, Marcus Goldman was their best guy, and he's not re-signed. And they didn't sign anybody. Fackrell, Kyle Fackrell is not as good as Marcus Goldman. So, anyways, moving along, because we believe it or not, we're at the 32-minute mark of this podcast. You and I could talk about this stuff forever. Um, in the third round, the Giants selected Matt Pert, an offensive tackle out of UConn. Um, Pert is a project, but, he, you know, there's not a lot of tape on him playing at UConn, but supposedly he has all the measurables. So, 
maybe the Giants one day envisioned Andrew Thomas at left tackle, Matt Pert at right tackle at, on their next Super Bowl team. Could be very possible. Um, I like the fact that they doubled up on the offensive line. Eric, any brief thoughts on Matt Pert? Well, the one thing is, you know, he played on Connecticut, and obviously the type of quality teams they were playing, you can question. He's a big man. Um, he's uh, excellent size, long arms, and he's pretty athletic for his size. He Right now he appears to be better as a pass protector than a run blocker. Um, he's also – some of the things I, I read that he kind of lacks that meanness to his game that you need to play professional football. Um, but you mentioned he's a project. He probably will not start the first uh, his first season. Um, but down the road, he could be real solid offensive lineman and, and be part of real good offensive uh, line for years to come. Obviously, Gettleman loves the offensive line, so this is not a surprising pick. He loves his hog mollies, but this guy's not a hog molly. His hog molly was picked in the fifth round in Claude Lemieux. Um, we'll get to him in a minute. Um, you know, again, I you know, when all the reading about Pert, again, the Giants gave you the blah, blah, blah. He was the best value. Again, to me, the Giants draft board is not the draft board I would use if I was on an NFL team. But let's hope they have, you know, let's hope they're right. In the fourth round, the Giants made a very interesting selection. They selected cornerback Darnay Holmes out of UCLA. Darnay is a strictly a slot corner. So he will, you know, in the NFL. And that has now become a very valuable position in the NFL, the slot corner. You know, back in the day, nobody knew what a slot corner is. But this guy was drafted to be a slot corner. And he's caught the attention of some of the great cornerbacks of the past. Aeneas Williams and Deion Sanders have both commented that they think Darnay Holmes is going to be an excellent pro and an excellent selection by the Giants. I have to admit, this selection has me a little bit excited because I'd like to see us have somebody in the slot that can cover some of those quick receivers, you know, like the Cooper Cups of the world, those guys in the Randall Cobbs, those guys that make this, you know, in the slot. I mean, even some of the great receivers. Now, Michael Thomas plays out of the slot a lot. So, you know, Eric, any quick thought, brief thoughts on Darnay Holmes? If he was taller, he'd probably be a uh, first-round pick. That's the only concern regarding him is that he's short. Everything else is great. He's physical. He's tough. He's quick. He's fast. He also is a great kickoff returner, something that our team is also lacking. Yeah, I mean, we, de we, we definitely need, you know, it's been a long time since Dave Meggett was returning punts for the Giants. I think he was in that video, the 86 video that we played at the beginning of the show. In the fifth round, the Giants selected the aforementioned Shane Lemieux out of the University of Oregon. Shane Lemieux is the prototype hog molly. Hog molly, a word that my favorite guy, Dave Gettleman, likes to use. You know, he used it to describe Andrew Norwell, who he drafted for Carolina, who became a pro bowler. The Giants love Shane Lemieux. Now, of course, since they don't have a center, everybody's saying maybe Lemieux will be the center. This guy's never played center. He, you know, I could see him as a guard, but this guy is a productive player. And I, I could see him as like a David Deal type, you know, somebody that we drafted late and has a long career with the Giants. Thoughts? Well, he is a, another big offensive lineman. Right now, he appears to be better as a uh, run blocker than as far as pass protection. So there's still a lot of work, another project. But again, Gettleman, you know, likes likes those hogs. So um, it'll be interesting to see how these offensive linemen develop over the next few years. 
Um, he's very um, – he was from the University of Oregon, so you know they played some good teams. Um, so Yeah, I mean, he, he did protect Justin Herbert, who was picked fifth by the Chargers. That is true. So, you know, he, he did play on a team that, you know, did throw the ball. So I mean, he, he probably had to do some pass protecting. Anyways, then we get to the sixth round and those and those very valuable seventh round picks that the Giants had where they loaded up on linebackers. Cam Brown out of Penn State was the first linebacker they took. Um, Brown has great measurables, not great production. But from Penn State, um, the Giants uh, on their staff have Penn State's uh, defensive coordinator on their staff. So Cam Brown is well known to the Giants and uh, could be an intriguing prospect. Eric, you you know anything further about Cam Brown? I know you know sixth round picks. There's not a lot of video, but I know you 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 know you do go to the depths of where you can find video on some of these players. So any thoughts on Mr. Brown? Oh, he's got some good length to him. He's six foot five. You know, two hundred thirty three pounds. Started two years at Penn State. So he's tall and lanky. Um, long arms, decent speed. He's aggressive. Um, he's solid, but I don't see him being that much of an impact player. Um, obviously he probably will not start right away. Um, if, you know, if he ever does crack that starting lineup, you know, who knows? Um, you know, I, I said, it, you know, at sixth round, you know, obviously if we get anything really solid, who's going to be an impact player. It's, it's a great thing, but, um, he's a solid pick. I mean, I would say that, um, he definitely could be a good solid linebacker, but he's not going to, I don't see him as an all pro player down the road. No, I, I gotta be honest. If they get anything out of on special teams out of this guy, they consider themselves lucky. I, he's a project. I think. I think the guy that you know, and we can talk about all these seventh round picks and bore everyone to tears. But there's one guy that stood out, and they picked in the seventh round. That's linebacker Carter Coughlin out of the University of Minnesota. No relation to Tom Coughlin, although knowing the Maras, that could have been a reason that they signed off on this pick. <laughs> I think they still feel guilty about firing Coughlin and keeping Jerry Reese. But Carter, Carter Coughlin at the University of Minnesota did have 22 and a half career sacks. And on this team, if you have any ability to rush the passer, you have some value. So Carter Coughlin could surprise or he could get cut. You know, that's that's what it is with a seventh round pick. It's like throwing a dart. You don't know where it's going to go. But this guy at least has some pass rushing experience. Um, then they took T.J. Brunson out of uh, University of South Carolina. Brunson, no relation to Rick Brunson or Jalen Brunson, the basketball player. <laughs> That's about all I know about him is he's not related to them. Um, and, and after that, in the seventh round, they took a cornerback named Chris Williamson out of USC. Um, again, don't know much about him. Actually, I'm sorry, he's out of the university. Another player out of the University of Minnesota. Um, he's a good athlete. Did well at the East-West Shrine game. But again, um, not great feet, not that fast. Don't see much out of Chris Williamson. Eric, any comments on Williamson uh, or, well, or the any of these seventh round there? picks? What you're really hoping for is that they give you some depth in their position and that they're actually good special teams players. That's what you hope. And, then, and then in the next seventh round pick, they took Tate Crowder, another linebacker in the University of Georgia. And I got to admit, when I read this, I thought they took the NBA player Jay, Jay Crowder <laughs> that played for the Celtics. So this is Tate Crowder, no relation to Jay. Again, I looked that up. Because I was very curious. Because I got to admit, when I read this, I'm like, Jake Crowder quit the NBA for the NFL. But this is Tay Crowder out of the University of Georgia. So then, and then the Giants loaded up on some rookie free agents. Uh, they're not really good at this. 
So I, you know, a couple of interesting ones would be, you know, the, you know, is Benjamin Victor, a six-four wide receiver from Ohio State. I would say what, you know, the wide receivers that they signed, Victor, Austin Mack, another guy out of wide receiver, and Derek Dillon out of LSU are probably the guys that have the best chance to make the team because wide receiver, I think, outside of Slayton, Tate, and maybe Corey Coleman is wide open. Uh, Eric, your thoughts? Or was there any rookie free agents that they signed that stood out? Well, Benjamin Victor did because of his size. And in the NFL, you know, that height advantage could make a big difference in the end zone when you can jump over the defensive backs. Um, Austin Mack, to me, was like Sterling Shepard in a way. Uh, that possession type of receiver. The one interesting player that I felt, and I'm losing my track, Javon Week um, from University of Maryland. He is fast. He's that home 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 run threat. You know, can return kicks. He's not a physical runner, but when you see speed like him, it does excite you. And although he has some fumbling issues, but Javon Week may be someone who makes an impact on this team down the road. And, and I'll tell you, if you're excited, I'm excited because <laughs> you don't excite easily. No, I enjoyed the tape. I mean, you know, it was interesting. I was trying to see, you know, when Maryland was playing, you know, where they're playing some good teams. They made some big runs against some really good teams. Now, keep in mind, I wasn't seeing him miss a lot of tackles, but if he has any type of space, you know, he can fly. So you never know what player like that. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, we have gone through it and I, and I don't think anywhere else in the podcast universe, you'll get a more in-depth review of each draft pick, each, each free agent signing. And he just did from uh, the, the D man and myself, um, you know, uh, I'm neutral. I would rate the giants off season, probably a C plus, if you want to do the free agents and the uh, and the draft, I mean, I like that. You know, I think they finally addressing the offensive line. I, I'm I'm happy about that. I feel like McKinney might be a playmaker on the defensive side. Bradbury's an upgrade. You know, so I give them a C plus. You know, I'm not. It's not. You know, it's not a great grade. I mean, it's a C plus slash B minus. It depends on how Andrew Thomas turns out. I'm not going to fool everybody to tell you that I have a crystal ball and I know how Andrew Thomas is going to be. I give them a C plus B minus. Now, interestingly enough, there was an article that came out over the past two weeks, an ESPN article that ranked the Giants offseason 14th out of 30 teams. So I'd say that's right in that B minus C plus territory. Eric, what did you think of the article that ranked the Giants 14th? Well, I kind of agree that. And, and you agree that you gave them. I kind of agree. They get an A for what they did for the offensive line and in the defensive backfield. And you can even the linebackers because they got some possible solid linebackers, but receivers, uh, edge pass rusher, they get an F four. And to me, there's no way they could have gone through that draft and not at least tried to get a player on each. Um, again, we're we have no weapons on the receiving end to me that scare anybody. And again, we have no one to uh, to rush the passer. And in today's game, if you can't rush the quarterback, you're going to lose most of your games, no matter how good your defensive backfield is. You know, I, you know, ESPN, you know, is not always the best, but I thought they had this right. The Giants were in the middle of the pack. Their offseason was average. They addressed some things. They didn't address anything. Um, in a realistic world, 
did they do and did how many games have they improved from four and 12? I don't think they did. I think if they were four and 12, if they're four and 12 next year, that wouldn't surprise me. We, we do have a podcast coming up where we'll go game by game and both of us will predict the Giants record. So we'll wait till then. You know what I heard you today, know, Pete? Um, Nate Burleson, I don't know when he said this, but he actually thinks the Giants are going to win the NFC East. He may have been drunk when he said <laughs> because because I, I can guarantee you a couple of things in life right now, and one of them is that the Giants will not win the NFC East. Oh, I agree with you. I think it be a miracle. If the, if the Giants win the NFC East, I will buy you a Porsche. Because and, – and it brings me back to, you know, back in the day when uh, Mike Francesa predicted that Seton Hall was going to make the – on the Imus show before Mike Francesa was Mike Francesa. He predicted that Seton Hall would make the Final Four on the Imus show, and they did, and Imus had to buy him a Porsche. So if the Giants win the NFC East, I will either buy you or Nate Burleson a Porsche. Well, How's that? So I, 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 you know, we'll get, we'll get into game by game. I don't, you know, their off season was average. It was, you know, it, you know their off season was, was very commiserate of a general manager. Who's really trying to save his job. And, you know, it was, it was average, very little risk. You know, it, it was low risk, low reward, in my opinion. So we'll go game by game, uh, you know, and we'll, we'll figure out what the records are and we'll both give our prediction in an upcoming podcast. Um, we're running out of time here, but I wanted to – every podcast, we're going to feature one player. Today's feature is going to be this guy. 2019 NFL Draft, the New York Giants select Daniel Jones. Oh, quarterback. So they choose the quarterback. We all remember that, right, when the Giants selected Daniel Jones with the sixth pick Yeah, overall. I think I ran into the, the bathroom to throw up. You heard the moans and groans of the ESPN commentators. Um, Daniel Jones was taken sixth overall. The Giants fell in love with him. Um, he had, you know, uh, he showed promise in his rookie season. Uh, and as I told you earlier in the podcast, and I always come through my promises, I will reveal a story about Daniel Jones that will, that should encourage Giant fans. Um, if we remember Jones's first two games, he played really well. It was a beautiful victory versus Tampa Bay where he played really well. He played a very nice game against Washington, so he was 2-0 and as a starting quarterback heading into a tough game with Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota brought him back to reality very quickly with their pass rush. They were in his face. Jones had an uneven game. Jones was so unhappy with that game that he immediately texted his friend, Benny Fowler, after the game and said, Hey, Benny, how would you like to go have a catch tonight, have a catch, you know, so I can work on some things over at Giant Stadium? So Fowler thinking – Hey, that's a great idea. We don't have practice tomorrow. He says, he wrote, he texts back Jones and says, Hey Daniel. Yeah. I'll meet you tomorrow. 930 at giant stadium. Daniel goes, Oh, sorry. I meant tonight. So I, he said, I'll come pick you up about 930 after I have dinner and we'll drive over to giant stadium. Those kind of stories about Jones give me hope because you, you don't teach work ethic, heart. Those things aren't measured at the NFL combine. You know, the fact that the guy had a terrible game and he wanted to immediately go out there with his favorite receiver and throw the ball around, I think tells you a lot about Daniel Jones. I don't know if Daniel Jones is going to be a great quarterback in the NFL. That's to be determined. But if he has that kind of work ethic, it's definitely an advantage. Eric, your thoughts on that? No, I commend the work ethic. Um, but when I look at Daniel Jones, I mean, yeah, he shows some signs of being a, a good quarterback. But I just feel he's going to be that quarterback that is so prone to mistakes, 
you know, between the fumbles and the interceptions, the bad decisions, you know, not that he's going to throw as many interceptions as Jamie Winston. Um, But I don't know. I mean, time will tell. He deserves to be given some time to see how good he could be. Um, But again, even with Eli Manning, you know, when you think of Eli Manning, you don't think of a high-powered offense. You know, Manning made some big plays. He managed the game. But the Giants are winners because of their defense. And the same thing has to happen if Daniel Jones is going to help the Giants win a Super Bowl because he can't he can't do it by himself at all, not even close. So, I I, I mean I you know I I I tend to agree with you. Um, you know I I do think uh, I think Eli was a little bit more of a man a little bit more than a manager of the game. I think he was. Uh, you know, he, he. I think a lot of the offense was built around him. I don't think the Giants' goal was to have Eli manage games, and I, I don't think that's what they have in mind with Daniel Jones either. I think mm-hmm. they expect Daniel Jones to make plays. Well, what I mean by that yeah. with Manning is that you know the Giants weren't scoring thirty points a game. They were never a high-powered offense. You know, I would I would disagree with that. Um, there were years uh, in Eli's prime. I remember, you know, either the Giants were up like forty-four to ten and. And uh, the announcer would say, you know, anybody, you know, Derek Carr wants the keys of this office. There were times where there were a few years there where they had Plaxico Burris and they had Mario Manningham and they had Victor Cruz and they had, you know, Nick, you know, uh, Hakeem Nix. And then they had Beckham. The Giants offense was pretty high powered. It wasn't Giants football. And, and I, you know, and I, in, in today's NFL, I, they expect Daniel Jones to excel. And, and, and be more than a manager of the game. Now, I think for next year, you know, until they give Daniel Jones some more weapons and, you know, things like that, I, more weapons and the offensive line has time to mature, you know, I wouldn't expect them next year. But in year three, they're going to expect Daniel Jones, because I, I expect them to address the wide receiver position next year. Uh, they're going to expect a lot from Daniel Jones. Uh, you, know, you know, and, and, and that's, that's probably a good place to end. Um, you know, this was another great podcast. Uh, we hit the 50-minute mark, a little longer than we'd like to do. Um, I'm Peter Storm. That's Eric Diamond. Eric, any last words before we sign off? We'll be back in two weeks uh, for our next podcast, which will be dedicated to Dave Gettleman. You're not going to want to miss that. Yeah, there's a lot of hot, a lot of opinions on Dave Gettleman from the two of us, and they're very real. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about with him. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. You cannot sugarcoat Dave Gettleman. This guy's had incredible draft capital, a ton of cap space. And we and we still don't know if we have the nucleus of a team that could even be 500 in the next. Well, I'm going to say this: if Daniel Jones has a poor season, he's fired. I don't think you're really going out on a limb on that, but I would agree with you. I don't. I, don't, I think it's a little more than Daniel Jones. I think. I think if Joe. I even think if Jones has a good year, and the Giants have a bad year, I think Gettleman's fired. I think. I think the Giants. I think. This I don't think the draft. Giants are going to have a good year, even if Jones plays well. I think this draft class needs to perform well for Gettleman to keep his job. I mean, Thomas has got to start all year. McKinney's got to be on the whole rookie team. And one of the guys that they threw a dart at in rounds four through seven has to emerge. Seems like every team but the Giants gets somebody in the later rounds that becomes a pro bowler. We got to find ours. Yeah. Well, there's a lot to talk about. I mean, since it's a, a new coach, the first season, obviously, you know, everything's been delayed uh, due to COVID. So, as I said, I think it's more about Daniel Jones when it comes to Gettleman. But we'll talk more about that in two weeks. Yeah. We're going to sign off, but we're going to leave you with a little bit more from We Are the Giants back in 1986. This is Peter Storm for Eric Diamond. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you in two weeks. All right. Good night, everyone.